Well, welcome to uh, Reflecting Jesus in Your Home. When they, uh, okay, forget that. I'm not going to say that. I'm trying to reflect Jesus right now, so I'm not going to say these things that come into my mind, all of them. But um, for those of you that don't know me, my name, well, you know my name, Peggy Mitrano, because you saw it, but um, I am married to Pastor Steph Mitrano at Calvary Chapel South Bay, and he is over children's ministry, so we have a lot of fun in there. We've been married... We do this every anniversary. How long have we been married? And I I still can't remember. 36 years? Yeah, I think. 36 years, yeah. And um, Or it's going to be 36 this year. I can never remember. Sometimes we have celebrated the same anniversary two years in a row because we forget. (laughs) Every year we have to, like, do it on our fingers, but we just give up. We just married a long time. And uh, we have three adult children. And don't ask me how old they are, because they're old. They're 30-something, I don't know. Um, Our daughter is married. We have two grandkids. One is 11, and one is 4. And then both of our sons are getting married next year. So their job is to give me granddaughters. That is their big job. I want some granddaughters around here. Love our grandsons, but come on, I want to buy a dress once in a while. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything you've provided uh, this weekend and just how amazing the grounds are and how you've blessed us with rooms and chefs and people who clean the tables for us. And Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. And on top of that, the teachings and your Holy Spirit to, to have free reign to speak to us about reflecting him. We pray as we concentrate on our homes and our families and unsaved family members for this, this time, that you would continue to convict us if we're doing something wrong, to encourage us in the things that we're doing right, to maybe give us a fresh perspective on those areas that have gotten hard for us, because we do want to reflect you in these most important areas of our life. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our homes. In general, we'll talk about our homes first. And, you know, (laughs) our homes really are the, um, they're our ground zero of faith. When you talk about ground zero, it's like it's that place where everything starts or where everything started first. And things radiate out from ground zero. So with us in our faith, home is ground zero because that's where people see the real us. We are going to act like we want We're going to act like we think. We are going to relax and just be ourselves. And as we can learn to reflect Jesus in that ground zero, it only reaches out farther from there, right? But to remember that not only is it our ground zero, but it's our first mission field. Those of you that have unsaved husbands or unsaved kids, you kind of keep that in your mind, right? You're You're probably always thinking about that because... You, you want to reflect Jesus to these unsaved family members. But for those of us that have Christian homes, it doesn't change the fact that it's our first mission field. And we need to see it as that because what do you do on the mission field? You serve the people that you're going wherever it is you're going. And we want to make sure that even, even if we get comfortable being in a Christian home, that we don't lose our heart of service for them, that we don't take for granted, like, oh, they'll forgive me, you know, or, yeah, I know I was a little short this morning, but we're all Christians, so it's okay, right? It's still our first mission field. Um, it's also the place where we have the most influence because people that we live with 
are totally influenced by how we act, whether it's for the good. That's how Jesus looks at them. And if we can't look at our unsaved family members in that way, then there's nothing you need to do except learn to do that. Like you can't do anything else until you can look at them and see them the way God sees them. What does that take from us? It takes dying to self. It takes getting our eyes off of our own hurt and resentment and all of those things and saying, I'm not looking at this person as my brother-in-law. I'm not looking at this person as my aunt. I am looking at this person as someone that God loves who refuses to love God back. And when we can see them like God sees them, it gives us an empathy for them that we wouldn't have if all we're focusing on is our hurt feelings, right? Um, first, Second Peter 1.9 says, this is God's heart for them, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, including aunt so-and-so, including cousin so-and-so, to come to repentance. And earlier in the verse, it shows how God proves that and how he shows that because it says he is patient. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but every one of those unsafe family members that we're thinking about right now to come to repentance. So if that is how God is showing his love to them, if we are to be an image of Jesus to them, what should we be showing them? Patience, right? Patience with their mouths that they run off. Patience with their insults. Patience with their, all of the things that come with them not accepting us or not wanting to be with us. Patience with their drinking. How about that? How many family parties do you go to where alcohol is everywhere? right? And, and the music, like sometimes, sometimes we do have to go in another room because it just, it's so grievous, you know, but, but patience with them, loving them anyway. They're drinking, okay, they're still a sinner. God still loves them. God is still patient with them. Can I still be patient with them? Or do all I see is the beer in their hand? And as long as you have a beer in your hand, this is me. You know, get sober and I'll talk to you or whatever, but being patient. If, if that's God's solution, it needs to be our solution as well. Um, uh, Jim Daly, who is the president of Focus on the Family, he gave this wonderful analogy that Chuck Colson uh, gave him, and it so helps me with dealing with unsafe family members. He asked a question, and he said, if a blind man stepped on your foot or spilled hot coffee on your shirt, would you get angry with him? Of course not, because he doesn't have any way to know the spaces around him or who's there or what he's doing. So if you're, would you get mad at a deaf person if, and scream in their face and get frustrated with them because they can't answer you? No, because they're not capable of it. And we need to remember that is exactly our unsaved family members. They are not capable of godliness. They're not even capable of repentance on their own because that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do. So why are we getting mad at them and getting impatient with them because they're acting like what they are? 
We don't get impatient with a blind person. We don't get impatient with a deaf person. We just accept it for how they are, and we learn to relate to them in a way they can understand. We'd be all nice to them, wouldn't we? Can we just be that nice to our family members? Can we look at them that way? That they, they can't help what they're doing. They, in a sense, they are blind, aren't they? And they are deaf, actually, right? Because they're not listening to the Holy Spirit and they're not seeing what God has for them. So can we offer them that same patience and love them anyway? One of the, um, oh, let me read you this too. We reflect Jesus to unsafe family members by being kind to them. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness leads to salvation. So it's not God's standoffishness. It's not God's frustration that leads them to repentance. It's his kindness. So should we be offering kindness to our unsafe family members? I believe so. Um, one thing I used to do, well, I don't, one thing I started doing a while back that I actually still do, uh, when we go to family functions, um, I, on the way there, I pray and I get myself ready to go by doing these two things. Number one is remembering why I'm going. So maybe it's a birthday party. I am not going to celebrate a birthday. I'm going to honor my mother-in-law. Because honestly, sometimes if my husband and I had our way, we wouldn't go to any family parties anymore. It's so hard, right? And all you know all the stuff that goes on. But as a mom, I know how hurt I am when all my kids don't come to something. Right? So I want, I'm honoring Steph's mom, whom I love very much, by going places that I might not necessarily want to go. So what that does for me is it gives me my reason for going. Besides the fact, which is just as important, that we are the only light they are ever going to see. Well, I mean, we're praying that more Christians cross their paths. But you know what I mean? Like in the family right now, we are the only Jesus that they will see. So if those are my reasons for going. I ask the Lord, Lord, help me focus on honoring my mother-in-law. And I'm only, so in my mind, I'm only going for her. And what that does for me is all the other stuff that happens, I'm not there for that, so I let it roll off. Because I'm not there for that. I'm not there to deal with the insults. I'm not there to deal with the sarcasm. I'm not there to deal with all this other junk, right? I'm there to honor my mother-in-law and to honor the Lord. And it, it works for me because I, I work it out with the Lord ahead of time. Like, Lord, <laughs> well, I don't work it out. He works in me. But, um, you know, it's like, Lord, here's what I'm going for. Help me concentrate on that. And it also helps me when those barbs go flying or when the insults and the slights and all that happen then instantly it's like, you know what, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm focusing on honoring my mother-in-law and honoring the Lord. And that has helped us through many, many family functions. We show kindness to them by being generous and considerate of them. Those are two of the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit, patience and kindness. These two uh, reflection attributes also start the list of what love is. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8, it starts with love is patient, love is kind. And that's another one of my personal barometers. When I want to say something or when I'm thinking of something, I ask the Holy Spirit all the time, help me remember, is it patient, is it kind? Because if it is not both of those things, then I can't do it, I can't think it, I can't say it, and I need to work on me for more before I even start worrying about them. Like, why can't I be patient? If I have the Holy Spirit living in me, something's wrong with me right now. So I can concentrate on myself instead of, instead of them. 
We are being an echo of Jesus, which, remember, is a retelling of the original when we show our unsafe family members that we are patient and kind. Love them like Jesus, care for them like Jesus, see them like Jesus does. Want the best for them, keep praying for them, be patient and kind. Going back to the 1 Corinthians 13, we all know that, right? Love is patient, love is kind. What else is it? I'm drawing a blank right now because I'm staring at all of you. Love is patient, love is kind, love uh, thinks no evil, keeps no record of wrong, all of those things. Um, when we look at them, at our unsafe family members, can we say that of ourselves about them? Are you keeping a wrong? Are you keeping an account of wrong that they have done to you? That's not love. Are you hoping that something bad happens to them? That's not love. That's not God's love. And I know we laugh because we do it. We don't mean to, and I do it too. It's like, you don't mean that, but sometimes it's like, man, if this happened to them, like, oh, no, that shouldn't happen to them. So it's because the enemy is getting in there, and he's trying to stir us up to not be an echo of Jesus, but to be a proclamation of his evilness, right? So those thoughts come in. But again, I was so thankful for that study this morning. We don't have to let that sit. We don't have to listen to it. We can choose no. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not want evil for another person. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. So with our unsaved family members. All right, reflecting Jesus to our husbands. Okay, there's so much to say about this <laughs> and so little time. Um, the other thing I want to just, uh, just mention is that a lot of principles for one apply to all the other ones. So everything I said about unsafe family members, pretend I just said that about husbands too, <laughs> okay? Um, all of us, the Bible is full of instructions on how wives are to treat their husbands. The one thing that, remember, if this applies to you, is that there's nothing different about how we're to be a wife to a husband who's saved and a husband who's not saved. We don't have two sets of rules here. We have the same set of instructions for both of them. They apply to all of us as wives in here. And that, that causes, us, causes me to think a little bit two ways. One is, for us whose husbands are saved, are we treating them like the precious gifts that they are? And all of us who have saved husbands know husbands who are not saved. And are we thankful for the things that our husband doesn't do? Right? Because we've been married 36 years. I can get irritated in a hot minute when socks get left on the floor right by the hamper, right? And there's all these other silly little things, right? And so here I am all getting all up in a bunch because the socks are on the floor and it's like, but my husband comes home every night. I don't have to worry about where he is. Is that worth, it's worth one sock. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is that like, should I be upset about the socks right now? You know, so it kind of keeps me in check. Um, but the other thing for you precious sisters with unsaved husbands, to me, it's, a, it's, it's like a, an encouragement to you that there's nothing that you're doing wrong or nothing that you have to do extra because your husband is unsaved. We're all in this boat together. 
Your husband's reactions might, are, might be different than a saved husband's reaction, but our instructions are the same, and I think that's so precious. Plus, you guys with unsaved husbands, you got a little extra verse for you, so you're getting more from the Lord. And it says in 1 Peter 3.3, 3, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, refuse to accept Jesus, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. Here's your promise. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So, as we reflect Jesus by living godly lives, what does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to be reverent? To be pure means to be free of contamination. And I feel like Connie just took my whole study. Thank you, Connie. But she just talked about that, didn't she? Being free of contaminations. What are, um, I talked earlier about using a copy machine and how it's supposed to be the exact representation of the original. And so you know that if there's like a scratch on the glass or something gets in there, it comes out on the copy, doesn't it? And immediately you look at it and you don't see the 99.9 .9 part of it that's right. You see that scratch and you see that blotch, don't you? Because it got contaminated. That's what we're talking about here is, is there anything that's causing us not to be that exact duplication of Jesus? Do we look like him? I think there's a couple of things that cause contamination, and one is having a false view of the husband-wife relationship. And I think Connie covered this so well, a lot of it in there. The world, you know, through TV, through media, even through our social media and TV series, it, it seems to me, except for maybe one that I can think of, that wives are always antagonistic, aren't they? Like, they always have to have their way, or their way is always better, no matter what. And if they don't get their way, like, everything goes wrong in, in the TV show. They make decisions that are right for them without considering how it would affect their husbands, right? Those are contaminants. We are not to model that. When we make decisions, we need to consider the consequences for our husbands. We are... We're never to be antagonistic. We might have a difference of opinion. Trust me, my husband and I are polar opposites in just about everything that you can imagine, except that we love each other. That, that, honestly, that's it. The way we drink our tea, the things we like to do in our free time, well, except for shopping. We both like to shop. But everything else, we are exact opposites. One of us is social. Guess who that is? One is private. You know, honestly, even we, have to, we had to make an agreement that whoever is driving the car is in charge of all of the instruments in the car. Because we're opposite even in that. And he hardly ever lets me drive, so I want my time with the air conditioner. But we are never to be antagonistic about that. You know, like, well, if you loved me, you would let me turn on my radio station. Or, you know, just trying to pick a fight about those things that we're different with. While marriage is an equal partnership before the Lord, he sees us as equal before him. The strengths and weaknesses of each one of us, um, the differences and God-given instructions to each one of us is different. And we need to honor what the Lord says those are and not what we see modeled around us. What, what does God say on the matter? 
Okay, well, God does say that we are to obey our husbands. That doesn't mean that we don't have a say in it. Trust me, I have a lot of things to say. But the way I say it is honoring him. You know, it's like, okay, and, and I'll just tell him sometimes from the flat out, like, I am so emotionally invested in this that I don't know if, if what I'm saying is going to come out right, but I'm not mad. I'm passionate. <laughs> <laughs> Only when it's true, though. If I'm mad, then I don't lie. But, um, but then I'll tell him my side, you know, and here's why I think this, and here's why. And because we're so opposite, we think differently, and I see some things that he doesn't see, and he sees some things that I don't see. So it's not that we are... Um, blindly obeying or whatever, because that, that would not be an equal partnership before the Lord. We certainly can put our, give our influence, but he gets to make the final decision. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way God has defined a marriage covenant with a Christian couple. Are our husbands going to make mistakes? Oh boy. But you know what? Who do they have to answer to? It shouldn't be us. I know we're going to say they have to answer to us, right? <laughs> but it shouldn't be us. It should be the Lord, and we should treat their mistakes the same way the Lord treats our mistakes. Like, did you learn a lesson, you know, or what can you learn from this? Not throwing it in our face, you know, their faces and saying, I told you, you know, but loving them, loving them through it because we're not perfect. We're not perfect wives. When we were first married, <laughs> oh, you guys, when we were first married, Oh, man, I had to make a deal with the Lord, right, that um, I was not going to work on him until I was perfect. But when I was perfect, man, did I have a list. <laughs> and then, of course, after doing that about three or four times, you know, it's like, yeah, why keep a list? Because I'm never going to be perfect. Because no matter what happens, I got stuff to work on, right? So give him a break. Let them be the leaders and, you know, just give them their God-given role in a Christian marriage. And the world looks at that. How many of you guys watched the, um, oh, what was that last award show? Uh, Oscars. How many of you guys watched the Oscars? Really? Wow. Like four of you? Let me tell you what happened in the Oscars. Um, there was this guy who won something big. And I can't remember, sorry, because I really don't know who anybody is. I, I don't even know why I watch, because I just like to know, but I never see the movies, so I don't know what's the point. Um, but, and then he got up, and he said, now this is Hollywood. We all know how liberal Hollywood is, right? And he got up, and he accepted his award, and he said, thank you. And then he said, thank you to my precious wife for giving up her career so that I could follow mine. And I'm sitting on the couch like... He just killed himself <laughs> on stage. And sure enough, man, and he, I don't think he was a Christian. Um, it blew up on social media. And Hollywood, they were all over him. And I mean, probably if it, they let it go, they'd end up boycotting him. I mean, it was like people, I knew it was going to happen. People were irate how he could say that, how he could make her do that, all of this, right? So then um, she puts out a statement they have a special needs child, and they knew that she could take care of that child better than anybody else could, so she opted to let go of her career to stay home and take care of their special needs child. And that was one of those, those times when I was like, in your face, people! You know, like, <laughs> like all those people that were all upset at him, like, hello, how much more self-sacrificial is that? for? Not even because it's her child, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so I don't know how I got there. How did I get there? Oh, by letting them make decisions, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, another thing that can contaminate our marriage 
is hanging on to past hurts by our husband. Sinful people, no matter how much they love us, are going to hurt us. And you know our husbands can hurt us in the deepest ways possible. Why? Because we are the most vulnerable with them, because we love them the deepest. So when things happen, it hurts us to our very core, doesn't it? But here's the deal. It's a mistake. It was a hurtful mistake, but it was a mistake. And if they say sorry, believe them. If they don't say sorry, forgive them. Don't hang on to it because you, we've all done it. I know you all know what I'm talking about. You know, you're mad about this over here, but it comes out way over here, right? Because unforgiveness and bitterness are not self-contained. You don't get a little plastic thing inside where you can hold all that and it can't burst out. It's a wide open area and it's going to penetrate everything else. So don't let past hurts contaminate your relationship. One time, um, my husband, when we were uh, first married, uh, well, we weren't married very long, but he came home one day and said, I quit my job. I'm like, what? What? Exactly. I was stunned, right? But it was like, okay, I have nothing. I don't even know what to say. So I tried to be, you know, as, as I didn't say anything, actually. I, I just encouraged him, you know, let's pray. Do you know where the Lord wants you to go? Let's pray about that, you know, to, for him, um, to encourage him. Because as I was talking to him, in my mind, I'm seeing Jesus' face right on top of his face. And how am I going to react to Jesus? What are you doing, Jesus? Like, I would never, I wouldn't even, well, I would think to say it, but I would never do that. So if I wouldn't do that to Jesus, why would I say that to my husband? You know, so I thank the Lord. I just, I just was looking at Jesus, you know, metaphorically in my imagination and reacting as if I would have reacted to Jesus. And you know what happened months later? I never said anything about it. And and, but I was worried, just like anybody else, like, we have small kids, how are we going to pay the bills, da, 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 da. how could you do this without talking to me, I'm thinking all this inside, but thank you, Lord, I was quiet, and uh, I don't know, it was about three months after that, and the Lord so convicted him that he came, my husband came and told me, Peg, I will never make a decision like that again without consulting you, and I didn't have to, there was no antagonism, like, I didn't have to do it, the Lord did it, and so for him to say that to me was a way bigger gift than if we'd have had this knockout drag out, and him say, fine, I'll never do it again, right, how would that have healed anything, right, so, but even in the midst of that, not letting that taint how I treated him, because he did it, the Lord has to take care of it, or teach him in it, and I can still love him, right, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, again, one of the love things is not easily angered and keeps no records of wrong. Die to yourself, for, forgive him, give up your right to be angry. We never have a right to be angry. And I know people are always telling me, well, what about self, you know, righteous anger? I'm like, when I see it, I'll know it. And I don't see it right now. <laughs> I've never felt righteous anger. I've only felt my anger. So get rid of the anger. First uh, uh, Peter two twenty one, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. That's what it means to be pure, 
to not become contaminated, to follow in his steps. And Jesus never treated anyone that way, so why would we treat our husbands badly? To be reverent, now that's a word we don't use anymore, really. And to be reverent means to give place to another's feelings, wishes, and traditions. So as wives, for us to be reverent, that means we have to give place to his feelings. His feelings matter. Just because ours might be bigger to us because we feel them, doesn't mean that his aren't just as big and just as real. His wishes and his traditions. That was a big one for me because I came for, I was an only child till I was 16. I had three sisters after that and I moved out at 18. So pretty much I was a loner, you know, the only child moved out when I was 18, all that. No family besides my mom and dad and a cousin that lived in Reseda that we saw once a year. So I grew up with no traditions, really. And then I married this Italian family who breathing is a tradition. <laughs> Like, breathe this way on this occasion. Breathe this, don't breathe. You know, everything was a tradition. And so I had, I had to learn a lot. And I ended up crying about a month in. I was crying my eyes out because we have to go over to their house on Sunday again. Like, we just did that for three weeks in a row. Do I have to do that? But it all worked out. 36 years later, I'm good. And I've learned to love it, actually. I love it because I didn't have it. All right. As wives, we need to acknowledge that our husband's ways of doing things, his feelings about a subject or situation have value. Don't just, just don't write it off because he's saying it and he doesn't agree with you. Um, what he wants to do, what his dreams are, are valid, and we should be helping those come true for him. As a helpmate, that's what Jesus called us in the very beginning. The first thing he said about Eve I think before he even made her, right? I will make a helpmate for you. Not I will make a competitor for you so that you'll sharpen your skills. I will make a helpmate for you. Think of it this way. How many of you have ever been a bridesmaid or in a wedding? A bridesmaid? Yeah. I was 11 times before I got married. Thank you very much. (laughs) All my friends getting married. Um, A bridesmaid would never go to the bride and say, I got this for you right? I'll walk down the aisle. You don't have to do that. A bridesmaid is a maid to the bride. She's a helpmate. So she does everything she can so that the bride will shine on her big day. Jesus called us helpmates. So part of what we need to do is help our husbands shine. We are a a mate. No, a helpmate. We are a help to our mate. We're not a competitor. We need to be a copy of Jesus to our husbands. To reflect Jesus to our husbands, we must be trustworthy. Proverbs 31, 11, and 12 says, Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of our lives. Everything we do as wives needs to be with the intent that it's going to bless our husbands or that it will be something he would approve of. And I know sometimes we have to make decisions and we don't have, you know, we don't have a chance to call or, you know, I know things come up, but you know what your, you probably know what your husband's wishes would be in that situation. So do the best to do what would honor him. We want to act in such our way that this is what our husbands think and say of us. Proverbs 18, 22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Don't you want to be a treasure to your husbands? And if you don't, then ask the Lord why not. Because I know, I know that's not true of everyone. Because sometimes you're so hurt 
that you don't care if you're a treasure or not. You just, you're done. You want to close the lid of that treasure box and say, bam, close for business, right? <laughs> don't be looking for no treasure in here. When we feel like that, what is it in us that's wrong? What is it that we're angry or bitter or we've gotten contaminated about? We have to deal with us so that we can be a treasure to our husbands. All right, reflecting Jesus to our children. Remember we talked about one of the, basic, one of the ways to be a reflection is to imitate and that's what we need to be to our children. We need to imitate Jesus to our children. Now, some of us have had the experience of having kids after we became Christians. So from the very beginning, we were able to do our best to imitate for them. I know a lot of moms, though, blended marriages, um, remarriages, well, that is a blended marriage, um, getting married later in life after they've been a single mom um, and don't haven't or sorry coming to Jesus later in life after they've already started raising their kids sometimes they feel like oh the damage is done right all those years that I didn't reflect Jesus now how am I supposed to step in and say oh that's wrong when I've said it's right all these years that's exactly what you do because you were wrong all those years and Jesus stepped in and said here's the right way right so that's exactly what you can imitate for your children this is the way I did it it so didn't work for me this is where it got me, and now this is what I'm doing, and this is why. Being honest with them, because especially when our kids see a big change in us like that, it's like, what the world is going on here? Who are you, right? And the more we explain to them why, whether they accept it or not, they will understand it. Um, do you love to watch impersonators, like, do impressions that kind you know, like where they talk like Clint Eastwood or whatever? That always amazes me because I can never, I don't even know what, how to even start doing that. But it always amazes me how someone who talks like this can make some kind of decision and teach their bodies and now they're talking like another person. And they sound like them, like you know who they're doing if you know who they're doing. I mean, right, like if you know who Clint Eastwood is and somebody does his voice, you know what it is. That has always amazed me. They are imitating the original in a way that you know exactly who they're imitating. That's what we're supposed to be as moms. We're supposed to be that kind of imitator, that when, when our kids look at us, they see Jesus. How Jesus reacted when people made mistakes. How Jesus loved, how Jesus spoke. All of that is imitating him. And I was so intrigued by this um, that I looked up how to imitate people online because I wanted to learn, like, how, how does someone who talks like this learn to talk like this, right? So I was watching all these tutorials when I should probably have been in something else, but it was so interesting. <laughs> and um, here, here's, what, here's what they said. Let me find it. Where did I put it? Uh, I wrote it somewhere. Okay, well, I'm just going to, oh, here it is. Well, first of all, I don't remember I wrote it, so I'm just doing it from memory. The first thing they do, obviously, is watch the original. How, how spiritual is that? We watch our original Jesus. When a, when a, a, imper, I, I don't like the word impersonator because I feel like it encompasses too much, so I'm going to say people who do impressions. How's that? So people who do impressions, they watch the original. All the footage they can get of this person, they watch them. And what are they looking for? Mannerisms habits, when their voice goes up, when their voice goes down, all of those things that make that person that person. And then they adjust their behavior to be like the person they're trying to imitate. 
I mean, how perfect is that of being a reflection of Jesus? We watch the original, and we watch how he handled himself, how he spoke, what his motives were, how he handled problems, and then we replace ourselves with him. And then we become that imitator of Jesus. How awesome is that? I love that so much because there's so much of me I want to go away. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, We want to be the living example. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can we say that to our children? Be imitators of me. If you act like me, you're going to act like Jesus. I know. Hmm. And we're all, we, we know we blow it. We know we blow it. But do we take care of it when we make mistakes? Do we say we're sorry? Do we say, I shouldn't do this, and I'm going to do my best not to do it again, and help me, you know? I, I'm asking my husband all the time, like, you know my steps to getting here. When you see I'm on step one, can you just tell me, like, get off the escalator, please? That'll be our code word, like, escalation, you know, so I can get off of that thing. As much as you can be in the word, be in the word. That's where you're going to learn Jesus' characteristics and be that expression of his. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So how do we put on the Lord Jesus? His character is found in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter. Patience, kindness, does not envy, does not boast, isn't proud, doesn't dishonor others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeping no records of wrongs, does not delight in evil. That means you're not happy when something bad happens to that person. Rejoices in the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes. That's another one for your unsaved family members. Have you given up hope on them? And your unsaved husband, have you given up hope? Like, there's no way that person is ever going to get saved. Maybe we can't see it, but the characteristic of Jesus always hopes. Always hoping maybe today's the day. Maybe this last prayer. Maybe one more something. Maybe the always hoping and never giving up. We learned, uh, I learned some of my parenting mannerisms from 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Doesn't this sound like a mom verse? It wasn't, but I took it as one. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. <laughs> it doesn't say beat them. It doesn't say put them on restriction every time. I know we need to do that sometimes, but it says warn them. We're training them. Like we shouldn't go from zero to 60, you know, right now. We're warning them. Encourage the, disenheart the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Uh, uh, 514. And doesn't that about describe one day in the life of a mom? <laughs> Idle and disruptive, disheartened, weak, and, and needing patience. I love that one. His expression is also found in Psalm 145.8. It says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. When you start looking at these verses as a mom, it's so encouraging. Am I being gracious to my children? I'm gracious to people outside my house all the time. Am I being gracious to my children? Am I being compassionate? Or is it, you did what again? Am I being compassionate? Am I giving them lots of chances? Am I understanding why they can't get whatever it is that they're floundering in? Slow to anger and rich in love. 
and also Galatians 5 for our children. Are, is this in our lives as moms? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and as moms, we, that should be our mom verse, right? We try to teach our kids self-control. We need to be self-controlled, right? Especially, that, that's why the home is really um, ground zero, because outside of home, you go, it happens, you leave, right? You have time to think about it, you have time to process, whatever, and then you go back, but not so at home. Home is a pressure cooker, right? And so how are we withstanding that pressure? Well, Jesus, we need Jesus to lift the lid <laughs> so that it doesn't all build up, right? The other thing I want to encourage you, for those of you that have prodigals, we have, have had and have prodigals, that you are a Christian mom no matter what your kids do. You are living by God's principles. You are doing your best to imitate Jesus to your children. You are a Christian mom, and that is not dependent on whether your kids uh, accept what you're trying to do or whether they reject what you're, what you're trying to do. It doesn't change who you are. And that was such a freedom to me because all of the, what did I do wrong? I, I could have done this better. I should have done this better. And while that may be true, it didn't change who I am that they made those decisions. So I want to encourage you that have prodigals with that. You are a Christian mom, and you keep doing what you know is right, no matter what your kids are doing. This is a scripture that the Lord uses a lot for me with my prodigal. If you need this, I take it to heart. Ezekiel 34, 11. Oh, sorry. As much as we love our children, God loves them more. Listen to what he says. For thus says the Lord, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day that he is scattered that he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. As much as we love our children, God loves them more. And if you have prodigals, you know the heartbreak of that, and you know how much you want to take care of them. But you know what? Most of the time, it's not the mom that brings the prodigals back. It's Jesus. And this is Jesus' heart for them, to find them, to bind them, to bring them back. And he will do that every day, all day. So moms of prodigals, take heart in that. God is after your children, and he's not turning back until he finds them. Reflecting Jesus in the home. Have you ever been to um, the ocean or a lake or something, and you know how when the sun is out and it's shining on the water and those little, there's those little sparkles everywhere? And even though the water is constantly changing, the sparkles are always there. Why? Because the sun is up. And the sun is shining down, and it's reflecting off the water and making these beautiful sparkles. That's how God sees you. And as long as the sun, S-O-N, is shining on you, your relationship is good for him. It's good. Your relationship with him is good, and you're, you're reading the word, and you're, you know that you're depending on him. You are believing in him as your, as your God, 
he's shining on you and you're sparkling. And it doesn't matter the situations because the water is changing all the time, isn't it? And yet the sparkle is always there. Your sparkle is always there and you are going to sparkle in your home with your unsaved family members, with your husbands and with your children as long as you let the sun shine on you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we're so grateful for you for so many reasons. Uh, forgiveness of sins and salvation being the first and overarching one. But also because everything you've called us to be and do in this life, you've given us resources to do it. Like you don't tell us, sparkle, shine for me, and then walk away. You tell us to shine for you, to be an imitator, a reflection, an image, a copy of you, and then you give us the way to do that. Lord, you are so good. And as we think about our homes today, Lord, we pray that you would make us that living example of you in our homes, to our unsafe family members, to our husbands, and to our children, that we would reflect you in all the parts of those, in all the ways that we can, that we would remember that we're supposed to be an exact copy of you, an exact duplication, an imitator of you, that when people look at us, they see Jesus. And not only that, but when we blow it, when we sin, when we make mistakes, it's like you, just like when we clean off a mirror, we spray the Windex, we wipe it off, it's sparkly. We ask for forgiveness, you wipe it off, we're sparkly. Who else does that? Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you. Help us when we go home. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, sparkly ladies. <laughs>